series called The Ascension. If you were here last week, um, we're kind of starting this new rhythm. So every first week of a new series, we're going to be together in the main room, and one of us will kind of like set the primer, set the foundation for what we're doing. So Kirk did that last week, and this new series called The Ascension, and we wanted to kind of look through the book of Acts. The book of Acts, if you haven't read it, is a book of stories about the early church. So it's a book of stories about what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. So Kirk kind of set that story for us, but essentially, Jesus raises from the dead. He spends 40 days on earth in this resurrected body, and he eats meals with people. He's like, give me some fish, wants to, he loves fish. Jesus loves fish. Okay, cool. Um, So he, uh, he, he wants to hang out with people, whatever. 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And, and he says, it's going to be better for you that I go because the, the paraclete, this helper, is going to come, the Holy Spirit. And that's what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is about normal people on a heavenly mission with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And so you'll read these crazy things that, that happen in the book of Acts. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next, like, six weeks, basically up until Christmas, which is kind of crazy, but we only have five or six midweeks left before Christmas because we got events and we got different stuff. Isn't that crazy? It's too crazy. We're not ready for it, but it's happening. It's happening. It's coming. So all that to say, these talks are not going to be necessarily chronological. Um, Typically, if you're going through a book of the Bible, you're just going to read things. These are not necessarily going to be chronological. We're just going to be giving you guys some stories uh, to to look at and, and, and to think about. So today, if you got your Bible, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. I'm not going to read all of that, but I'm going to read some of it. And we're going to be talking about a guy named Stephen. So if you got your Bibles or your phones or whatever, Acts chapter 6, that's where we're going to be starting. Uh, Cliff Notes version, by the way, from last week, we're starting a podcast for high school students. So... If you go wherever you get podcasts, Waypoint Students, just search that, um, and we're going to have the messages up. So we've got last week's message is the first one, and then we'll kind of be adding from there. Um, So if you missed a week and you want to go back and listen to it, those will all be up there, and we'll try to get those up as as quickly as we can. Um, But if you didn't hear it, quick recap, last week Kirk talked, and he set up these three things. He talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, a plan, and a purpose. The plan and the purpose is what Jesus says uh, in Acts 1.8, which says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the, the, the thought is this, that the Holy Spirit comes, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, believers are going to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole world. That's it. That's the book of Acts. And so that's where we're going. Sometimes it can be a little bit confusing because there's things that happen in this book that we don't expect to see happen here. There's people that literally just get slain for crazy things they don't give. And it, it's, a, it's a crazy story. So we're going to try to parse through some of that. But if you're at Acts chapter 6, I'm going to tell you a quick story to kind of jump in. A couple years ago, there was a, a snowy owl that made its way to Washington, D.C. Think like any Harry Potter fans? You know what I'm talking about? So Hedwig made his way to Washington, D.C., 
And for whatever reason, it became national news because the snowy owl is supposed to be in the Arctic and it's in Washington, D.C. So the owl is like jumping from building to building, he's flying around, whatever. The owl gets hit by a truck. Welcome to D.C. That's what I'm saying. That shouldn't be funny. This is a snowy owl. He had a long journey, made it all the way to the land of our fathers. And so this snowy owl gets hit by a truck, and there's these three on-duty police officers that stop what they're doing, go get this owl, emergency transportation to the National Zoo, and they end up saving this owl's life. It's awesome. They get it back to the Arctic. It's a crazy story. That's, come on. That's what I'm talking about. Owl is safe. Now, I'm sure that those police officers, that's not a part of their job. It's not part of their job to go save some snowy owl and get him back, and it's some you know, duty to humanity, whatever. But they did it because that's what you do. The same exact day in Washington, D.C., there's a 77-year-old man who has a heart attack directly across the street from a firehouse. Directly across the street. And they call... 911, and they say, the ambulance is coming, but it may be a minute. And so they run across the street, they knock on the door of the firehouse, and they say, hey, there's a guy that's having a heart attack over here, and the guy that answers the door says, I can't do anything about that unless I'm ordered by a superior to do it. So 15 minutes later, this ambulance comes, and the guy's passed away. He died same day. And in one instance, we've got a group of guys that probably broke the rules to go save a snowy owl and get it to this zoo so that he could fly again one day off to Hogwarts. And yet, we've got a man who followed the rules, who said, I can't do anything unless a superior tells me to do it, and someone died because of it. See, rules sometimes are funny things because we can sometimes miss the spirit of the law to follow the letter of or vice versa, we'll follow um, uh, the letter and we'll, and we'll miss the spirit. And so today, we're going to be talking about rules in, in, in a certain sense. We're going to be talking about um, times that we as believers, as Christians, are breaking sort of agreed upon social rules, agreed upon social constructs of things that we're not supposed to talk about because it makes people uncomfortable. And what happens when you do that? So Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read this for us. Let's go here, verse 8 through 15. It says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, they seized him, brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Verse 15 says this, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So let's pray together, and then we'll hop in. God, we thank you. <clears throat> thank you for your word. We thank you that when we approach your word tonight, we're not just 
approaching a book like we'd approach any other book, but we're approaching a living, breathing thing that through your Holy Spirit actually comes alive. So I pray that your word would be alive to us tonight, that we wouldn't just learn something new, but that our lives would look different because of a word that you spoke to us. So we love you. Amen, amen. So we've got a man here, Stephen, and if you go back a chapter, you can basically read about Stephen, but Stephen had a job. His job was to take care of widows. It wasn't a crazy, uh, you know, a job that makes people angry. Typically, if somebody takes care of widows, you're just like, that's awesome, man. That's cool that you're doing that. So that's what Stephen does. He takes care of people that are hurting. He takes care of widows, and the Bible tells us that he's doing incredible signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being this third part of the Godhead that Kirk talked about last week, this part of God that, that actually came to earth when Jesus ascended. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, Stephen's doing incredible things. And we're not told exactly why this frustrated these people, but, but we know that they were incredibly bothered to see someone doing this type of work in the name of Jesus. They're incredibly bothered by that. And I don't know if you've actually ever run into that before, but like on a mission trip or something, sometimes you'll run into people that are incredibly bothered that you're doing good work, that you're doing helpful work in the name of Jesus. Like they just don't want it to be happening. Or sometimes I've given people food and I've asked if I could pray for them and I've literally gotten cussed out about Jesus and whatever. I'm like, love you, dude. And I, I need to get better at that because sometimes when that comes back to me, I, I, I get so offended. I'm like, well, I'm trying to do good work here. It's, it's in the name of Jesus, and you just need to accept that or whatever. But it happens. People, sometimes, when something's attached to the name of Jesus, they don't even want it. And that's kind of what we're running into right here. But it says this moment about um, they, they pull him before this council, and they trump up these charges. So he hasn't done anything wrong. He's just trying to help people. He's doing it in the name of Jesus. But they put all these trumped-up charges against him. And while it's happening, all the people in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Have you ever been wrongly accused of something? Ever said something about you that's wrong? Something that's not true? Does your face ever look like an angel when that's happening? Not for me. Not for me. I've been wrongly accused of things before. And my response is an incredible level of defense. Let me try to ABC all the checklists of why that's not true. And let me get passionate and enraged about this thing. You, you don't got me. You don't know who I am. And that's not what Stephen does. It's not what we read about him. In some way, the way he responded to these charges in the power of the Holy Spirit says that people looked on him and they actually got to see a glimpse of heaven. So that's the first thing tonight. That's crazy that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have the ability to respond to situations in a way that gives people a glimpse of heaven. I don't know if that's crazy for you, but that's crazy for me because I realize my response can show a lot about what I believe. Sometimes if I'm fired up, if, I'm, if, I, if I want to prove something about myself in my own pride or in my own self-worth, I can give people a picture that doesn't actually reflect my God. But other times, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can give people a glimpse of heaven by my response. Stephen goes on, after this, and this is the part I'm not going to read, but in chapter 7, if you get a chance to read it, try to. It's a little bit heady. He gives basically a message. He gives a sermon to these people, and he tries to call them to change their ways. And 
as he goes through it, it it's heady because he, he references all these things that the, the Jewish culture would understand, but to us, really, it's just a bunch of names, and this happened and that happened, and you're like, that's cool. It's awesome that that happened. But if you look at it, he actually lands on two things. And so I'm going to break down those two things for us, and then we're going to quickly get to these. So what does all this mean for us anyway? But the two things that Stephen breaks down are this land and the temple. So he's talking to Jewish people, and number one, he breaks down the land. And he, he, he basically says that, that the Israelites have always connected their land to their God, that by having this land, this promised land, Israel, that they were somehow closer to God. But Stephen tells a story going all the way back to Abraham, ultimately culminating with Moses. Do you guys know the story of Moses bringing out out of Egypt, splits the Red Seas, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He basically tells the story of Moses, and he goes, you know what? That is one of the biggest moments in Jewish culture, and it didn't happen here. The things that we talk about that our God did, the things that we talk about that, that God saved us from, that didn't happen in the Holy Land. That happened in another land. So this thing that you think is saving you, this thing that you think is making you the greatest people of all time, this thing that you think is making you holy, really not doing it at all because God can meet you wherever you are. So that's number one. Then he makes a statement about the temple. And the Jewish people have always lived and died by the temple and their proximity to it, their ability to uh, atone, which is sort of a big word, but to, to, to uh, pay for their sins, to pay for the ways that they've sinned against God. Stephen goes on to say that all of these men have tried to build, build temples, and he even goes to Solomon, who built the biggest temple of all. And he quotes Isaiah, and, and, he, and he says this, that God doesn't dwell there. God doesn't dwell there. I mean, there's a story <coughs> about Jesus on the cross that talks about when Jesus died, this veil was torn in half. And they actually call it this dividing wall of hostility, this veil. And the thing that once separated God from his people is no longer there. There's no longer separation. And the Holy Spirit, God doesn't dwell in a temple anymore. He dwells in us, in believers, in the children of God. So Stephen says, you're not holy by having the temple. You're not a child of God by having the temple in your town. You're a child of God by having the Spirit of God inside of you. That's how you know. And this obviously, which to us, these things might not sound huge, but this is all of Jewish culture. All of Jewish culture has been built on coming to this land and having a temple where God meets with his people there. And Stephen basically in five minutes says, all that's wrong. All that's wrong because God's here and he doesn't need any of that stuff to be with us. See, in one message, he challenged everything that these people believed in everything that they thought made them holy, everything that they thought they were supposed to be living for, and it erupts. Have you ever had someone challenge something super close to your identity? Like the thing you think you're best at. Someone ever basically told you you're not good at that? I am a guitar player. I play guitar. I know that's shocking. I, my dad played guitar his dad played guitar, my, my brother plays guitar. I play guitar, and I had someone really close to me one time tell me that 
that music, in essence, wasn't my thing, that they didn't see me really putting too much into it, that they, they didn't see me working hard enough for that thing, and I was just sort of wasting away this gift that I have. And my pride on the inside was like, you're one of the few people that I want to look at me and say, like, you're doing it, you're killing it. And it didn't, it challenged my identity because my identity was built up in guitar. My identity was built up in what I could produce and, and people calling me and saying, dude, you are the best, can I get you to come out and do this thing? Can you come do this thing? And, and I had the person closest to me say, man, you think you're all that and you're not. It's a natural response to feeling like you're being challenged at a core level. Everything that you are is being taken away. And that's in essence what Stephen does to the Jewish people. That's in essence what Stephen does to this council right there, is he goes to the one thing that they can hold on to, the one thing they can believe in, that, that they have this land, that they have a temple where God dwells with them, and he says, man, all of it's wrong. You don't need any of it. And so it erupts, and I'm going to read this. I don't even have it on the, on the screen, but after this message, it says this in Acts 7. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, named Saul, this will be Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound like anything we know? It sounds like Jesus on the cross. Don't hold this against them. I don't know what they're doing. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this story, the story of Stephen, is the story of the first martyr of the Christian faith. And that's a word, martyr, that we don't actually have to deal with that often in our world. I don't know if you even necessarily know what that means, but a martyr is somebody that, that dies for their faith. And you've probably heard stories in the past several years. We, we talk about ISIS and we hear these stories about um, things happening in different parts of the world where Christians, believers, are being killed for their faith. And this story is the story of the first person that died for their faith. And the Bible tells us this, that it wasn't just a one-and-done thing, that, that this uh, stoning of Stephen actually opened up the floodgates. It says, on this day began a mass persecution of the church. It says that Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, and committing women and men to prison. See, there was a tension rising between what was then called the way, which you maybe have heard us say waypoint, the way the early church was called the way, the way of Jesus. There was tension rising between the way 
and the Jewish culture and because the way of Jesus is so starkly different from the Jewish heritage. The way of Jesus is so starkly different than the Jewish heritage. And it's because of those things that we talked about that, that the, the, the Jewish people at the time thought that by having land, that by having the law, that by having the temple, that they were holy. And Stephen tells them a different story because the way of Jesus is entirely different. And I may just offer for us that the way of Jesus is starkly different from the American heritage as well. Starkly different from the American heritage. And all it took was one man, Stephen, it says it's full of grace, full of power to speak it out, and the floodgates opened. And so what's the point? So we started this series, we're supposed to be so encouraged about the presence of the Holy Spirit and all these incredible things that we could do, and then the first week we talk about the first martyr of the Christian faith. And here's the point. The point is this, that the Holy Spirit gives us a spirit of victory in the face of oppression. The Holy Spirit gives us a spirit of victory in the face of oppression. See, as Christians, we're not operating on the world's rules. The world's rules say that what I believe is my business, what you believe is your business, what you believe is your business. I should never make you uncomfortable, and don't you dare make me uncomfortable. It's what the world says. That's what your friends expect from you. That's what your teachers expect from you. What I believe outside of, outside of this classroom is what I believe. But you never challenge that. And I'm telling you that as a believer, we have incredible cause to break that cultural rule. We have a mandate to break that cultural rule in the spirit of a better rule, to offer someone true life and life to the fullest. We have to, but when you break rules... Even in the spirit of a better rule, sometimes negative things happen. And so that's why we're starting with this story, because when we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt us to speak up when we don't necessarily want to speak up. It's going to, he's going to prompt us to say things that we wouldn't naturally say in our own world, because the world has a different rule. We don't make people uncomfortable. As Christians, and sometimes we do make people uncomfortable, we oftentimes make people uncomfortable because we tell them a story that they're not perfect. They're not even good because I'm not good. It literally took the life, death, resurrection of Jesus to make me good. And I'm telling you, people do not want to hear that. So we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being witnesses to accomplish this plan of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we do that, when we break the cultural rules in the spirit of a better rule, there will be oppression. There will be. But we have a promise from Jesus that says, fear not, for I've overcome the world. When he, when he ascended, he gave us the Holy Spirit, which gives us a spirit of victory in the midst of oppression. There's so many times that I think about people who are walking through things that are incredibly hard. I'm sure most of you guys 
you're old enough now that you've walked through something that's probably rattled your world a little bit. Probably shook your world a little bit. And we so often see people, maybe they're older than us, maybe they're younger than us, maybe they've been believers for longer than us, but they, they walk through these, these situations and we, we think, man, how do you have hope? How are you looking ahead to what's to come? With that diagnosis, or when my mom is doing that, or when my dad is doing that, or when the divorce happens, or when this happens, or that happens, how do you have hope? And the answer is the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit gives us a spirit of victory in the face of oppression. Just the truth. And so as we read through the book of Acts, I want that to to help inform some of what we read, because we're going to read stories about Paul. And Paul did write a lot of the New Testament, and there's some things that if you haven't read the book of Acts, you're going to read about Paul and be like, dude, why did you not give up? There's a story that Paul gets stoned outside of a city, and the next morning he wakes up, and, and it's just one verse, and it says, and he, the next day he went to Derby. If you look up where he was and where Derby was in relation, it's like 50 miles that homie just walked after getting stoned. They left him for dead outside of the city. It's like, dude, why? Just stop. But the Holy Spirit gives us a spirit of victory. So that's all I got for tonight. I'm going to pray for us. We've got some discussion questions. We'll jump in the tables and we'll do it. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when, when your word goes out, it doesn't come back empty. God, I pray that we could, for the next 10 minutes, tangibly talk about ways that that you are giving us not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of condemnation, not a spirit of anxiety, but a spirit of hope, a spirit of victory in our lives. God, I pray that as we press into these conversations, that we wouldn't just leave the same, but that something about us would look different because we've encountered you. We love you. We know you're here. We know you're in the midst. We thank you for that. This is all for you and about you. In the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Some questions are up here.